once again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the CIC Cast. I'm Joel Cookson, happy to have you along with us once again for another edition of our Spring Sports Championship Wrap-Up. That's the word I'm trying to say. As we are back for consecutive weeks, we dove into a bunch of our Spring Sports Championships last week. We're going to tackle a few more this week with an excellent list of guests, a few folks we've talked to before, a few that we have not heard from in quite some time. So looking forward to a good group of guests this week. We're going to have Mary Albel from the New Haven Register breaking down all of the exciting track and field action. We're going to talk to John Nash from the Norwalk Hour about some girls like boys volleyball postseason with Rich Gregory of the Danbury News Times and Nick Green of the Hartford Current. So that's the lineup for this week. As always, we are happy to have you along with us. We are also, as always, happy to remind you a message from our good friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation to keep those phones tucked away. Press play on the CIAC cast and then put your phone away. Not worth the risk. Please no distracted driving and please do not text and drive. One text or call could wreck it all certainly with the summer months coming your uh you know your kids are out of school now you just want to uh you know enjoy your summer we don't want to dampen what's going on for folks during those summer months so please remember to keep your phones tucked away once you get behind the wheel with that we're going to dive right in quickly to our addition new edition of things you might have missed on ciacsports.com not a heck of a lot that you might have missed since our last broadcast uh, a week ago once again we do have all kinds of great recap stuff on our tournament central page including a new layout that highlights all of these stories from the championship edition of Linked Up. So if you want to read about all of the championships from this spring, checking out the tournamentcentral.com in season. So if you're tired of looking back and want to start looking ahead and making your plans for uh, championship weekends uh, in the fall season and where you're going to be, what's going to be going on, you can take a look at those. Those are all posted online now at CICsports.com as well. And just a reminder of the few other things, we did have that Linked Up Spring Championships edition, which has all of the stories from the championship season. We have what I thought was a really interesting story uh, about the Class M Girls Lacrosse Championship, a nice small story or a small moment that turned into a big moment uh, for me at watching that contest. Hope you'll check out that story as well. And uh, just going to be posting some new things, hopefully, during the summer months here on CIACsports.com. So we hope you will continue to check back there. You can always get updates at on Twitter at CIACsports as well. So hope you will keep out, keep checking us out during the summer months. Going to be a little bit quieter, but certainly lots of content coming from us here at CIACsports.com. Let's get right into our interviews and our guests this week. Starting things off will be Mary Albel to talk a little track and field. Love hearing from her. So she's going to join us first to talk about a wild month of track and field championship competition. It is time to talk a little track and field, and in the state of Connecticut, that means uh, we needed to get in touch with Mary Albel, who has been uh, tracking this stuff, no pun intended, uh, throughout the spring, and has been a very, very busy lady keeping track of all of the comings and goings of the track and field scene. So, Mary, thanks for being with us. Yeah, great to be here. So, the, this first question, and I don't entirely know how to ask it, but... Uh, for, for those who have been following uh, the track and field beat in the spring, it's been another just remarkable uh, sort of run of performances from Connecticut athletes, particularly distance runners, but it's not limited to those folks, uh, in terms of their performance at national meets. And, I, and I'm not even going to try to list them all because I know I'll leave somebody out 
that uh, that has performed so well. So before we even get into the the kind of state championship stuff, I just sort of wanted to to get your perspective on you know the sort of unprecedented nature of all of these incredible efforts that we're seeing, you know, in terms of Connecticut athletes winning and performing well at these national meets. Uh, and if you feel like it almost seems like we're starting to take them for granted a little bit because it's, it's been such a great run of uh, success. So if you could, as best you can, try to put some of these, uh, these national performances that we've been having in Connecticut in perspective for us. Right. I mean, it's um, when you think about it as a whole, as you mentioned, you know, I think this past spring we had, you know, three individuals win national titles, all distance runners, and then we had a couple relays um, win national titles. And, you know, it, like you were saying, it is almost becoming a norm for kids from Connecticut to perform so well at the national level. You know, it's kind of hard to think, why is this, you know, and right. are we losing perspective on how great this is? But, you know, um, I don't I don't think we're losing perspective, but I think more, you know, just as a group of runners just keep producing, it's producing more runners. So, yeah. you know, just as it's becoming a norm for kids to go to the national level. You know, you had Henry Wynn, Connor Rogue, some of those guys before this group, you know, it's, they've kind of made it normal for kids to want to strive for and achieve that goal of going to the national level and coming home with the national title. So... Yeah, and uh, and it is. I think it probably is one of those things that you know maybe at one point it seemed out of reach to some degree, and then once right. they see their peers do it, and it's just also interesting to me to see when you you know you get a, a runner like Hannah DeBalzi at, at Staples who achieved that success still early in her high school career. So you know you sort of w- right. once that's happened, you know then for her it's it's not a matter of you know oh uh, you know I'm done as a as a sophomore I want to keep improving and keep doing better and and that so it it seems like it's just one of those things that's been building on itself and it's really just amazing to to watch once the the state meets wrap up what uh, what 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 meets the Connecticut athletes are going to go out there and, and and win in the in the future it's been a remarkable spring yeah exactly <laughs> um, so moving a little back closer to home and and moving up the state meets, which did wrap up quite a while ago now, so we'll forgive a, a little bit of memory lapse and uh we had some familiar team championship uh winners, particularly on the the girls' side, but leaving apart uh the state open maybe let's just stick to kind of the class championships uh what sort of stuck out to you as the big stories from those class championship meets um for me um I covered the class and me at Sheehan and the storyline that I thought was one of the best this entire spring was um, Team Sheehan and Coach Farley win their first outdoor title ever. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you follow uh, Sheehan and just know Coach Farley, he's been around forever, you know, um, longer than has been alive. So, he, you know, to see him win his first outdoor title at home, you know, state title was pretty remarkable. You know, he was trying to hold back tears after they won, and it was just, a really, really great moment to see, you know, a program like that who only had nine boys on the team win a state title was, you know, definitely a highlight. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the other highlight that kind of stuck out to me um, was, again, kind of the same storyline, but um, the Bunnell boys, they um, they won their first uh, state track boys title in double uh, M. So that was kind of a similar storyline, but, you know, it's pretty great to see two programs who who are great programs finally win at the state level. Yeah, no, certainly. And uh, I know that Sheehan, uh, as you mentioned, also winning on their home track certainly adds a, a nice little right. piece to that uh, to that perspective. So moving on, um, I know this isn't necessarily the region of schools that you covered, but I wanted to touch on um, 
one school's success, again, because a little bit because it is unprecedented, as we talked about all the, the national success. Um, I had mentioned some familiar faces winning, and, and Bloomfield uh, High School has now won a boys' uh, title in seven straight seasons and a girls' title in eight straight seasons, uh, either at the class level or at the state open, uh, which both rank among the longest streaks in, in track history and CIAC history. So, like I said, I know these aren't programs that you're incredibly familiar with, but I'm just curious of what you've seen that mm-hmm. can sort of explain their continued success, maybe beyond just having really good athletes, or if that's just uh, what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, um, they, I think what it comes down to is just, if you look at the results um, year after year, is Bloomfield does such a great job, especially um, in the outdoor season, is being so well-rounded. Mm-hmm. If you look at the results, they have kids placing in the hurdles, the sprints, relays, and then you have the field events. And really, if you're going to be successful in the outdoor season, you have to get points, you know, in all the events. You can't just have it on the track, you know. Or indoor, that's a little bit easier to do and get by. I mean, but Bloomfield does such a great job of, you know, even if it's a fourth, fifth, sixth place, they're still getting points somewhere, you know, and those points add, those points add up and uh, mean a lot of the state meets. So I think that's, that's maybe not all the reason, but it's one of the main reasons I think they've just had that continued success. Yeah, certainly uh, it does seem like they've got uh, the depth and kind of the overall uh, overall performances right. to uh, to carry them through. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I think it also goes back to, you know, once you've won a few state titles, you know, that, that success becomes a norm and they want to keep winning, so... Yeah, absolutely, and that's uh, something they've certainly managed to do. It is quite a run. I've, I've proud through the history books a little bit, trying to figure out if their their runs are the longest uh, that that track has seen in uh, on either the boys and girls side. That's going to be a, a summer project trying to uh, to dig through all of that. But they're certainly in contention now for the longest uh, consecutive streaks in in Connecticut track and field. So. Um, moving on to the state open where there was a bit more of a surprise, um, as for the second straight year, we had the same school claim both the boys and girls open titles. Uh, but if you had sort of asked before the meet, you probably wasn't expecting that to be Darianne if someone was able to do that. So what, from your perspective, did you see to, as kind of the keys to Darianne claiming those team titles? And then what were some of the, the individual performances that really stood out from that, that big state open meet? Yeah, I think as you just said, you know, I don't think a lot of people, um, had Darian winning both titles, you know, they're definitely, you know, top three finish, but, um, you know, great for them. You know, I know particularly in the boys, you know, they had a plan and they executed it. You saw Alex Fosford who easily could have won or, you know, gave Christian Alvarado a really good race in the 16 and 32 if he wanted to, but you saw him kind of take a step back. He scored points in, you know, three events and helped them win the four by eight, you know, and mm-hmm. that was during his plan, you know, get those points where they can, you know. A lot of coaches do, they sit down with um, their athletes and they go through each event before each meet, you know, and see how many points they can score in each event and go through different plans with Dan and excellent job of knowing how many points, what places they need to finish to win that state open title. So, and I think... Um, just kind of what we talked about before, I know for the girls, they just had that well-rounded depth where they did have um, top girls in the sprint, relays, you know, pole vault, long jump, where they just, you know, it didn't matter if it was a first place or a sixth place, they got some points, and that kind of helped them um, propel ahead of staples and uh, cross, so. Right. 
What about uh, what about some sort of individuals that that you came away from the meet uh, particularly impressed with or or uh, remembering uh, particularly from that Open Championship? Um, I think for a lot of people, it came down to the girls' 1600 race where mm-hmm. we had. Uh, this is probably the best race we're going to see in quite some time. Uh, we saw four girls go under um, four minutes and 50 seconds, which is you know talking to a lot of coaches, they've never seen that before in a Connecticut right. state. We were talking, you know, girls going under five minutes, and now that's not good enough. So you're seeing girls push the time, and it was just a really incredible finish between um, Hannah Balzi and then Dene Rivers and the cross. They both finished, you know, just five seconds of each other, and it was really incredible considering they're both sophomores. So. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely uh, sets the stage for for several more uh, excellent battles right. between those two, which we also saw. For those uh, those remember, I think we talked to uh, to uh, Mary during the indoor season and coming off a a state open where they had a, also dueled in a a great performance and very memorable race. So certainly, uh, it's two two athletes are going to be very fun to watch for a couple more years, and so that's uh, very fortunate for us. Um, Something that that might have gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit because it wasn't for uh, for team points or team competition, but there are also some great performances at the uh, multi-event competitions, which took place the week after the uh, the state open meet. So what? Uh, and I know you were covering those. What stood out to you at those mm-hmm. uh, those multi-event competitions uh, at the Coast Guard Academy? Yeah, first um, having it at the Coast Guard, that was an amazing facility. You know, everybody was just in awe of how how nice it was, but. Um, you know, for the girls on the girls' side, it was um, quite the battle between um, Branford's Anna Atkinson and then uh, Julia White of uh, Hill House and then mm-hmm. Brianna Burt of uh, Maloney. And they all, I mean, either, all three of them could have won, but um, it was really great to see Anna Atkinson of Branford. She didn't have the best state open and uh, or New England, but she's actually going to Boston College to compete in the heptathlon, so it was kind of a preview for her and it was really neat to see these athletes you don't see you know do these events at normal at normal class meets and stuff I mean she excelled in the the javelin throw and some other stuff that she normally doesn't do but um yeah it's just kind of neat to see these athletes compete at such a high level in all these different events um on the boys side you saw Tyler Latham of Fitch you know he was just so dominant you know it's pretty rare to see um, an athlete score. I think he scored over 6,000 points, but he really just was strong in all of the events. Right. So. Yeah, and that's a, that's a tough thing, particularly at the high school level when you don't have as much time maybe to uh, to practice all of those different uh, different components of the uh, of the decathlon or the heptathlon uh, competition. So, yeah, really uh, hope folks uh, and and we you know continue to try to hopefully do a nice job of of promoting that. But it's kind of a nice capper to the track and field season uh, right. before our kids go off and win all sorts of national championships. Um, <laughs> so, uh, sort of finally mentioned, uh, you know, as we mentioned this just you know kind of if you want to look at it almost the golden age of Connecticut track and field that we're in right now it seems like anyway um but sort of and uh I know you kind of try to keep tabs on everything as best you can but from a from your perspective what are some of the sort of events or competitions or or performances that are going to sort of stand out to you uh when you look back at at the 2014 season kind of in the rearview mirror um that's a tough one I mean there was a there's been a lot of great performances you know um Going back to that national um, 
the national titles. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing Christian Alvarado Fairfield Prep win his first national title on his last high school race and getting all American status that was that was pretty special. And then um, again, you know, Hannah Devalzi becoming the first uh, Connecticut girl to break ten minutes in the two mile that was that was very special. Um, Alex Osberg again. <laughs> a national title in the 5K, right. and he's dangerously close to breaking 14 minutes, which is an unheard of feat. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think those those national titles definitely stick out, but a lot of, you know, Darianne winning the uh, both titles, that was a really great performance by them. Um, I know Richfield won a national relay title, and then um, just, again, going back to those teams winning their first, uh, you know, first outdoor state title that was that was pretty special so yeah i, I think uh, it doesn't matter the sport whatever when, when a school is able particularly as you said with with coaches who have been around for a long time uh, winning those first cha- championships are always a uh, a memorable uh, a memorable moment for those teams and uh and athletes so but uh as you mm-hmm. said a uh, just a remarkable uh outdoor track and field season after a remarkable indoor track and field season so we're we're <laughs> we're getting to uh, i think have to come up with new adjectives to describe these uh these track and field uh competitions and uh and Mary Albel's coverage for the New Haven Register is is indispensable in uh in keeping track of everything so Mary as always we thank you uh for joining us and uh enjoy a little time off before cross country kicks in in the fall thank you Always clear after talking to Mary Albel just how much she loves talking about track and field and covering all of those great record-breaking performances. So we appreciate her joining us as always. Also clear that the girls lacrosse season provided a lot of great highlights, and here to go through a lot of those with us is John Nash of the Norwalk Hour. Very happy to have back with us on the CIAC cast John Nash of the Norwalk Hour. He will be uh, talking to us a little bit about girls lacrosse. So, John, thanks for, uh, for joining us. My pleasure to be here. Always happy to uh, to have you on, and uh, obviously a lot of uh, a lot of successful programs uh, in the girls lacrosse uh, region uh, down in your neck of the woods, and and really one of them kind of highlighted what I thought was was one of the the matches of championship weekend, the uh, the Class M girls lacrosse final between Wilton and New Canaan uh, rivals that uh, that managed to go into overtime. But before we kind of get into the specifics of the match. Uh, the Wilton girls lacrosse team, uh, obviously a perennial, uh, you know, contender and championship contender, but had been on a little bit of a drought in terms of, you know, championship game success. So if you could, what was sort of the, the attitude and the mindset around this team uh, for much of the year, kind of heading into the tournament and then even heading into that championship game? You know, the funny part about this Wilton team was that it was the fact that really they didn't have that one superstar player that they've always had in the past. Mm-hmm. In, in the seven years that I've relocated down here to, to work for the hour in the Wilton Villager, uh, I've covered so many great single athletes who have gone on to have great college careers. Casey Johnson, Casey Pearsall, obviously, uh, you know, players like that that have just been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And when you look up and down this roster on this year's team, it, granted, there's some really, really good players, but they don't have that superstar that, that is going to blow you away. Right. And if anything, that, that made them stronger because you couldn't focus on one person and they were so tough to defend in every game it was somebody else. And, and I know in, in talking from the preseason preview all the way up through the, the second overtime of that title game, this team had one goal, and that was to walk off the field as state champions this year. And, and certainly, uh, you know, they pulled it out in the end. 
Yeah, and uh, as you said, uh, a very exciting uh, overtime game. So, so kind of hitting on that that specific game a little bit. I know you were there and, and saw all the action and all the the drama of overtime. Uh, from talking to the team, what were what was sort of the keys to uh, to Wilton managing to come out on top this year in that championship contest? The, the biggest thing, and, and something that I think is, is really, especially in the sport of lacrosse, it seems, is, is overshadowed is defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, so much is made of the, the kids who can put the ball in the goal. and But this year's Wilton team just had a phenomenal, phenomenal defense. You know, the senior Hannah Wilshire was there, their second-year starter, and she'd always been a good goalkeeper. But she had anywhere, depending on who was keeping the stats, anywhere from 16 to 22 saves, yeah. which, if you know the sport of lacrosse, is a phenomenal number, uh, regardless of which one it is, the lower end or the higher end. You know, she just played the game of her life in her final high school lacrosse game, and, and you had to feel good for that. But but it was the, the other three kids they had back there, Maeve Kennard, uh, Casey Tucker, and I, I'm probably going to blank on the fourth name. Oh, Emily Eric's the little, you know, four foot eleven uh, <laughs> uh, girl that is just, you know, has the heart of a six foot five power forward. It seems uh, their ability to shut down a program like New Canaan and hold them to, to eight goals, I believe it was, uh, or six goals actually over the course of, of you know, sixty minutes and, and two uh, overtime periods is, is pretty phenomenal. And, and the other thing that a lot of people didn't realize was was at the start of the game, they were playing without one of their top attackers, a four-year varsity player named Laura Knapp, who had suffered a concussion in the uh, in the semifinals against New Fairfield. And that really threw them for a loop, and they got off to a really slow start. Uh, in talking with Meredith Meyer and their head coach afterwards, you know, she admitted that, that Laura is not a, a huge scorer or a huge assist person, but she's such a key cog in their offense that they threw out a freshman, you know, in the starting lineup in that game and a, a young lady named Sydney Brand. And it really, it, it took them almost a half to get going. But, you know, once they did get going in that second overtime, they got the lead, you know, uh, in the second half of the first time, tied it up, went into the overtime and, and then uh, pulled it out. Yeah, and uh, it really was a, a thrilling uh, thrilling finish to that uh, to that contest. Um Sort of curious, you know, and, and as I mentioned, you know, the, the Wilton obviously is a very successful, as you said, traditional uh, program in girls across. But as I said, you know, had had run into a little bit of a title game drought uh, the last couple of years, including, you know, consecutive losses in the finals to this new Canaan team. Did And then, you know, sort of uh, having the lead and then losing it late on in this championship game. Did you get any sense that there was sort of a, a period where they kind of, you know, had to regroup and, and sort of realize that, you know, they were going to be able to get this kind of monkey off their back a little bit, as it were, with this new Canaan team. Was there any sort of talk about how they were able to to kind of uh, move forward and, and find a way to, to get past their nemesis here lately? Well, I think it helped that, that uh, they beat New Canaan twice on the regular season, so they mm-hmm. certainly knew they could do it again. Now, you hear from every coach in, in the world that beating a team three times in one season is hard. Yeah. And the reason the reason that's a cliche is because it is hard, especially <laughs> yeah. with a coach like Kristen Woods, who's a Wilton graduate, and, and she's one of those great players that I had referred to earlier that just goes to the next level, played at Penn State, and, and you know, is now just coaching. But this is a very young New Canaan team, certainly not like the uh, New Canaan teams that had when they've won the back-to-back titles. Mm-hmm. So I think Wilton, Wilton was more confident this season going into the game because they knew they had beaten them, but it still, I, it wasn't until Wilton scored the tying goal that they seemed like they knew that they could win. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense because, you know, being without Lauren Knapp, you know, there was a lot of unsureness, it seemed, in the way they were playing, uh, 
and everything. You know, they stuck around close enough until they, they got the ship righted. Um, but I think when, when they scored that tying goal, the whole demeanor of the, of the, the team changed. And it was almost like, okay, we've got this. You know, we finally tied them again. Uh, you know, New Canaan was never way ahead. It was always, you know, one or two goals. So, right. But but the, the whole demeanor of the Wilton team seemed to change once they tied it up late in the second half. And, and like I said, they were just a different team from there and into the two overtimes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, maybe that, that difference between saying you believe and actually believing is, you know, probably a, a fine distinction, but maybe that was, uh, was where it came through, as you said, once they, they finally uh, were able to tie things up. Uh, moving on, obviously, that, that, that overtime thriller in M was, was, I think, sort of the highlight of the weekend, but I know you also were able to catch a little bit of the, uh, the Class L final and are familiar with that Darianna girls lacrosse team. Um, we've talked a little bit about them on, on previous podcasts, but just from your perspective, what was sort of uh, stood out to you from that, that L championship game or just from watching that championship team all season? Yeah, uh, Darian is just, uh, they're at such a different level on both sides, the boys, you know, and the girls. I know the boys were, at least, you know, fifth in the country this year. Mm-hmm. Both both Jeff Raymeyer and, and, and Lisa Lindley have done just a phenomenal job with that program. Whenever you go to Darien to, to cover a lacrosse game, uh, not only are you dealing with a great team, but you're dealing with hundreds upon hundreds of little kids who come to watch the, those programs play. And it just feeds itself every single year. And, and you know, going into the game, Darien, obviously, you know, they were the number three seed playing in a number one undefeated Glastonbury team, but they're still prohibitive favorites. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think if anything, you know, Glastonbury, you know, they lost 13 to nine, but being that close to a program like Darianne, I think that's a tribute to the job that, that Chris Cofield does up there. And, you know, I think they were a lot better than I expected them to be, even though they were undefeated, you know, coming down from upstate. Maybe that's my Fairfield County bias and how different lacrosse is down here compared to, to everything north of the, of the House of Tonic. But uh, how close it was really surprised me. But, again, Darianne just knows how to win, be it a close game, be it a, a state championship game, an FCAC championship game. And, and uh, you know, the, I don't know how many trophies they have in their trophy case, but it's, it's got to be a pretty big one down there. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, uh, you know, we don't want to, uh, I talk about the, the highlight of the weekend being that M final, but both the uh, other final championship games turned out to be very strong, uh, very good contests as, uh, as uh, Darianne and then also um, Stonington were able to come away, comes away with the, uh, the class S championship. So uh, um, just kind of curious, you know, on, on a, a broader perspective, moving away from the championship weekend a little bit, obviously you, you know, you, you certainly were, were diving in and out of the girls lacrosse season following that, that Wilton team that you knew was going to be a strong one. Uh, what were sort of your broader perspectives on the season in terms of some of the more memorable uh, games or, or memorable players that you uh, were able to cover this year in the, the Connecticut girls lacrosse scene? Um, there's just so, there's so many good stories down here in Fairfield County. And again, mm-hmm. that's my bias from, from seeing so much of it down here. But I think one of the most enjoyable stories that I got to write about this year was actually it involved uh, Emily Harris, the young lady from Wilton that I was telling you that is 411. And uh, Norwalk High School, which has been struggling the last four, uh, couple of years, uh, had a young lady named Marissa, uh, uh, I don't want to butcher her last name, um, uh, it's, it's an Italian name, Mastriani, and they call her Mouse because she's five feet tall and weighs in about 95 pounds, <laughs> but, she, but, she, but she's a darn good player. And I got to write a story, uh, uh, two stories, one on Emily, one on, on Marissa, we called it, uh, it's a small world after all, because the way these two girls play, just unintimidated, you know, they don't care who they're playing against, you know, if it's Norwalk against Darianne, this girl's going 
just as hard at all these Division One players as if she's playing, uh, you know, somebody from outside the area. And right. It, it's just it's the type of game. I mean, I remember seeing Mike Francia from Wilton, who's a, a little five foot four kid who's now playing at Michigan. Uh, it's the type of game lacrosse I think where size doesn't necessarily matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you can sneak in and out of people and, and in the boys' game at least not get checked, you can be successful. And, and that was one of the more enjoyable stories I saw. Uh, you know, certainly watching the Western girls, uh, uh, they lost a ton of players from last year, including the school's all-time leading scorer, and they were right back in the thick of things again this year. And, and that's right. a credit job that, that Megan Murphy's done up there to make them perennial contenders. Mm-hmm. Didn't make the state game this year, but, but they were certainly there at the end of, in the final four. Uh, you know, Greenwich strong once again. Staples is a, is a team on the rise down here. Um, it's always been the big four, it seems. Greenwich, Darien, Duquesne, and Wilton, but Staples is really closing the gap. They have a new coach, Pete Najarian, over there who's done a great job in his last two or three years. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they knocked off one of the, the, the big four down here in the coming two years. Yeah, really, uh, as we always uh, say, it feels like every time we talk about uh, boys or girls lacrosse, uh, the the sort of parity that exists within Fairfield County as those teams uh, sort of jockey against each other. And then, as you said, the, the Glastonbury's and, and other uh, very strong schools trying to uh, trying to stake their own claims. So certainly uh, an exciting, exciting season of, uh, of girls lacrosse. So, John Nash, we uh, we greatly appreciate you checking in and offering your perspective from a, uh, a very exciting championship weekend of girls lacrosse. And we will uh, check in with you again, I'm sure. And you can find John's work at the uh, the Norwalk Hour and uh, and keeping up with what's happening with all those great programs. So, John, thanks very much for being with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We turn our attention now to boys volleyball, where we had a pair of champions crowned in the spring, and one in L and one in M. And we want to hit a little bit on both of those teams, starting with some discussion of the Class L champion Ridgefield Tigers. For that, we reach out to Rich Gregory of the Danbury News-Times. Moving along to boys' volleyball now, the uh, Class L champions this year were from the uh, Danbury News-Times area, and that's where we find Rich Gregory, uh, who's going to join us today to talk a little bit about some boys' volleyball in the Class L champions. So, Rich, thanks for being with us. Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, so we want to start things off, obviously, Ridgefield with the Class L Championship, a 3-0 win in the finals, um, the first title for for uh, Ridgefield in the sport since 2003, um, you know, despite some strong teams along the way, including a finalist in, in 2012. So kind of start things off here, uh, looking at that Ridgefield team, what exactly do you think was, or what was the sense you got about what was different for uh, for Ridgefield this season that was able to, to help them earn that Class L title? Sure. Uh, you know, the sense I got from Richfield uh, was just that uh, it was a team of uh, upperclassmen, a lot of upperclassmen who uh, had come close uh, a number of times to winning titles, both in the FCAC and uh, in the States, mm-hmm. and, uh, and never did. And uh, I think um, maybe just uh, all the experience they had and, uh, you know, maybe coming away empty-handed a few times kind of fired them up a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I just got the sense that... Uh, you know, it was their it was their turn. It was their year. Um, you know, guys who have come up through the ranks and you know, like I said, come come very close uh, on a few occasions, and uh, just uh, just just happened to be their turn. Yeah, absolutely. That that experience uh, of sort of growing along the way uh, it can certainly be beneficial, and seemed like that was the case for uh, for the Tigers. Um, you know, but it was interesting. They didn't exactly enter the postseason with you know with maybe a ton of good feeling as they had 
Their first regular season loss of the year came right near the end of the year to Darien and then lost to, to Staples in the, the FCAC finals. So what was sort of the team's, you know, confidence entering the, to the tournament? And, and how did they sort of regain maybe their, their confidence and, and their footing a little bit once they got into the, the, the CIAC tournament? Sure, sure. I get the sense, too, that, um, you know, a lot of times it happens where, you know, the team will be cruising right along and then have a bit of a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly, uh, you know, those two losses could be, uh, you know, wrecked up as as kind of a wake-up call to say, hey, you know, if we want to, you know, get to the next level, if we want to win that title, maybe we have to, you know, just up our game even just that much more. And, uh, you know, and certainly coming out of the FCAC like they did and making it to the FCAC final before they lost to uh, Staples, um, you know, it really gets you ready, uh, you know, because it's a, you know, in in just about every sport is a a really tough conference. It seems to that regular season experience going against some very tough teams. And I think, you know, they had lost a couple of games, uh, you know, late in the season, you know, getting ready for the uh, States, but right. um, they were two very good teams that they lost to. Uh, Staples was, uh, I think, has won 10 out of the last 12 FCAC titles, mm-hmm. uh, was, a, was a state champion last year. Um, so, you know, losing to those types of teams, you know, it's kind of, you know, not not so much uh, a knock against their confidence. I think it's just uh, maybe a little bit of a wake-up call to say, hey, you know, we can play with these teams. We just need to, you know, Turn it up one more notch uh, right. as we get to the state tournament. Yeah, and they uh, they obviously were able to do. That. You know, one thing you noted in your your championship story for the News Times was that uh, Ridgefield did manage to win all three of its tournament games by 3-0 scores, but uh, particularly in the final uh, was not exactly a walkover. Uh, all three uh, all three sets were were especially close in the uh, the Class L championship final. So specifically in that match where they they earned the championship, what, what was sort of the keys to the to the team's victory? in that championship contest over uh, Southington? Sure. I think the, uh, I believe they were behind in two out of the three games in that uh, state final, and mm-hmm. uh, but they didn't seem to get flustered. They didn't seem to, you know, lose track of what they were doing. They just kind of, you know, regrouped um, and, and kept playing their game and didn't get flustered. Um, you know, there was a, there was a great uh, crowd there that was, you know, really loud. Uh, you know, Southington had a, a fantastic student section that was really loud and really boisterous. Um, didn't didn't phase the Ridgefield kids though. They just kind of stuck to the task at hand and uh, and kept right on going. And you know, they uh, anytime they did fall behind, they you know they just kind of chipped away. Didn't let it get too far uh, too far gone. And uh, you know, they chipped away, chipped away, and you know, were able to, uh, to to finish it off. I think you know a lot of it just you know the experience. I haven't been there before, and you know, haven't been up against those kinds of situations before. You know, they didn't get flustered. I think you get that with a with a veteran team that's uh, that's got a few uh, you know state tournament games under its belt. In the interest of fairness, we talked the Class L boys volleyball champion. Now we're going to turn our attention to Class M, and for that we turn to Nick Green of the Hartford Current. We talked a little bit about Ridgefield, the uh, Class L volleyball champion, and now we're going to move on and talk a little Newington with Nick Green of the Hartford Current. Nick, thanks again for joining us to talk a little volleyball. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, as always. Well, we're happy to have you back. We uh, we chatted with you with a, a few weeks before the tournament started and then to, to kind of get the temperature of what things were going on and uh, wanted to check back in with you. And, and during that initial talk, we kind of talked about this uh, 
this group of teams from the CCC that sort of seem to kind of be beating each other up during the regular season and try to figure out which of them might uh, be the ones to advance and, and end up earning uh, CIC championships. And it turned out to be Newington uh, that did the deed in Class M. So just kind of wanted to start and say, with uh, from your perspective, what kind of separated them from the rest of the Class M field where they were able to uh, to earn that title? Uh, you know, I think I think the thing about Newington was, you know, they won the Class M title in 2012. Um, then last year they moved uh, over to Class L. They're one of those schools that's right on the fringe every year. Mm-hmm. They go back and forth between L and M. So I think a lot of those guys, they had a lot of carryovers from the 2012 team that won, and then they had a lot of guys who were who played in Class L last year too and gained that experience in that bigger conference. Uh, I think this was just a group that. They knew that if they played their best volleyball, they could get there. Um, they've been kind of talking about it since the beginning of the year, and you know, they just did. They did what they had to do. I don't think there was any, you know, special formula or anything. They just made they made the plays that as a group as talented as they were, uh, you know, should have. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, and it not certainly not an easy road, but uh, 3-0 victories all the way through to the finals, including the uh, the championship match over Oxford. Specifically in that uh, in that title match, what jumped out to you as as kind of the keys to uh, to pushing them past the defending champions in in Class M Oxford, a team that sort of seemed like those were the two uh, two squads that were kind of uh, you know ready to face off all year in in Class M. Yeah, I mean that was uh, that was obviously the match that sort of everyone had been sort of waiting for, you know, with those two teams up top there. I mean, you know, in that particular game uh, or, or match, every game was close. They yeah. uh, both teams were right there, and in fact, Oxford, uh, if I remember correctly, you know, in each of the three games, you know, coming down to the last five points, you know, there was only a point or two separating teams. I think Oxford had lead, um, you know, and um, it's just in the end. Uh, Newington just made more plays. They, the ball doesn't hit the ground on the Newington when it gets to their side. Um, they don't make any ball handling errors. They just don't beat themselves. And, you know, in a championship caliber type game, you know, the, the difference was really slim. You know, Oxford, Oxford played them well, but they just, Newington showed their sort of championship pedigree and, and they not only did they not lose a set in that one, but I don't think they had dropped a single set since they lost to Cheshire in mid-May. Um, ever since then, they have been on a pretty unbelievable run, and it was it was just the little things. They were just a, a gritty, gutty team, and, and they just didn't let anything get past them. Yeah, and uh, and as you said, that seemed to that loss. You know, we talked yesterday actually in the conversation about Ridgefield how a late loss seemed to kind of refocus them a little bit. You wonder if the the same can be true of that Newington team after the uh, the loss to Cheshire during the regular season. Um, sort of looking a little more broadly, uh, either Class L championships or the Class M tournament, did anything uh, sort of surprise you? Uh, you know, we talked about how that that Newington Oxford matchup seemed to be the ones that uh, that people were were looking, you know, as kind of the expected one in Class M. But did anything uh, in any of the tournaments kind of surprise you in how uh, how they played out? Um, you know, I didn't think a lot really surprised me. I was, I was, I guess I was a little surprised just how dominant Newington was. Um, you know, I, I saw them in a scrimmage against Ridgefield leading up to the tournament. They both had buys. Mm-hmm. And even in that scrimmage, they beat them 3 nothing. you know, pretty easily. The scrimmage, so, you know, you got to take that for what it's worth. Sure. Uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was surprised to see Southington make it to the final. And I think Southington... Uh, had they maybe been at full health, maybe could have competed a little bit better with Ridgefield and given them a chance. But I think I think most things sort of played out the way we all thought. I, I think they would. I mean, it was uh, it was it was a great tournament. And um, but yeah, I, the, my biggest takeaway from both was just sort of how good Ridgefield was. You know, they they beat everyone that minus the one Cheshire loss that came to them. 
they beat Ridgefield, they beat Staples both in in postseason scrimmages, and uh, yeah, I mean, they're just they're not dropping a set thing for over a month was uh, was pretty wildly impressive. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll we'll kind of go last uh, last question, putting a cap on the uh, the 2014 uh, boys volleyball season as best we can. Uh, kind of big storylines, maybe that uh, that you sort of are going to remember. Or you think were kind of the big uh, compelling stories from the the 2014 boys volleyball season. You can go anywhere with this one. Um, again, you know, obviously it's hard not to say Newington. Um, they were impressive, uh, as I mentioned before. Southington was also uh, impressive with their run. Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, as we talked before, I think the overall um, just uh, competitive balance at the top of, of both the Class L and Class M was really fun to watch this year. I mean, even with Newington and Oxford being so good and, and Ridgefield and Staples being so good, uh, you, you never you weren't really sure, and it was a very fun tournament. I think it was just, it was a good year for boys volleyball overall. I thought the top end competition really uh, showed a lot of parity, and it was it was fun to watch. Great. Well, we uh, we certainly hope that folks uh, enjoyed it, and we enjoyed uh, reading your coverage of it as the uh, as we progressed through the uh, the tournament. And uh, and thanks for uh, for catching up with us, and we will check in with you again, I'm sure, uh, down the road. So thanks for your uh, thanks for your insights on boys volleyball this year, Nick. Appreciate it. Joel, thank you very much for having me, as always. I appreciate it. Thanks to Nick and Rich for their perspective on boys' volleyball. We apologize. We had a few technical problems with Rich that uh, kind of ended that interview a little bit prematurely, but we thank him for being with us and enjoyed his perspective on the uh, Ridgefield Boys Volleyball Championship. So thank you to him. Thank you to Nick Green. Thank you to John Nash. And thank you to Mary Albel, all for being with us this week. And that is going to do it for this edition of the CIAC cast. We will be back probably not next week, but hopefully the week after that, maybe looking back to a few more spring championships, a little more chatter, and anything else that pops into our head that we feel like talking about here on the CIC cast. So once again, I'm Joel Cookson. Thank you for being with us. We hope to see you next time on the CIC cast. <laughs> <laughs>